You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org. Good stuff. Um, I want to share a quick testimony. A young lady came up to me recently and and shared um, during worship that the Lord spoke to her and revealed to her that she hasn't had a suicidal thought since November. Praise God. That's, That's a big deal. Come on. And I, me and my wife and so many of us here, we had been walking with her for a couple of years through a lot of difficult stuff, and we had been seeing a transformation from the outside. You know, we had been seeing, it, seeing a demeanor change and language change and everything change, and, um, but there wasn't that personal revelation of the transformation that had been taking place. And so even in that moment of worship, as the Lord was revealing that to her, she tried to bring herself back to suicidal thoughts, like tried to like see if she could muster up those those sort of self-harming, um, suicidal thoughts. She couldn't do it. <laughs> like, she couldn't do it. It was like such a foreign thing to, to think of harming herself in that way. And uh, I just say, do it again, Lord. Do it again this morning. And so anybody in this place that's struggling with self-harming or suicidal thoughts, I just speak life upon you. And during worship, I was just speaking that upon you. Lord, just do it again today, God. Set people free in your name, Jesus, um, from suicidal thoughts, from self-harm, self-harming thoughts, and those addictions that are feeding wounds. Lord, we just speak freedom in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to dive into God's Word, the book of Proverbs this morning. Uh, we've been walking through the rest of the summer, the series called Hungry for Wisdom. So I hope you're hungry uh, for more than whatever's in the crock pot at home, hungry for some wisdom. Uh, I recently had a birthday, and for my birthday, my brother, Pastor Tony, he's one of the pastors here, um, he smoked me up a beef brisket, and brisket's like one of my, my favorite meats. Um, and he had, many people don't know this, but he has been perfecting the craft that is smoked meats. So like on his day off, on the weekends, you kind of know where to go, like go to Tony's house. Um, <laughs> cat's out of the bag, so everyone's going to be showing up. He'll probably have to start charging here, but, um, but anyways, like the day, so the day came, he was going to feed me the beef brisket, me and my family, and I woke up, ate breakfast like normal, I'm kind of a guy of rhythm and, and routine, and lunch came around, I was like, you know, I, I should skip lunch, I need to skip lunch, if I'm going to really make the most out of this epic meal, like the, the choicest affair, like I need to just skip lunch and really make sure I have an appetite, because isn't it a shame when you show up at an amazing meal, like the choicest of meats, and you're not hungry, it's a true shame. It's a shame. It's a travesty. And so I wanted to make sure I was ready. And I'm praying that you're ready this morning for God's word, that there's a hunger in your heart for God's word. Because I feel like it's a shame when, when people get to this point in the service and they're still not hungry for God's word. So look at this promise. If you're not hungry, maybe this will stoke a hunger in your heart. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 4 through 8, it's a promise to hunger for wisdom. God will meet you there. If you seek wisdom like silver, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, the reality of God, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. So there are these Great and precious promises here given to us to hunger for wisdom, for insight, for knowledge, for understanding. In that place, God meets us. And who doesn't want God to be their shield, to be the one that guards over them, watches over his saints? Amen? 
So this morning I want to talk about wisdom on work. If you survey the book of Proverbs, you'll see throughout the book, from beginning to end, this theme of work, diligence, you know, hard work ethic, uh, calling out laziness. He, the, the, writer, the writers of Proverbs, um, they hit on that topic often. So I want us to talk about godly work, godly rest as well, both sides of it. Um, and I'll just kind of bring you to my own journey where this, kind of, this message came from. Um, I've, I've felt like over the last several months during the coronavirus, I've been on a, a sort of roller coaster. I remember early on in the, uh, the coronavirus pandemic as it kind of came towards uh, the United States, the response at least started in the United States. Um, early on, the language was really like, hey, this is going to be two or three or four weeks at most. If we can just hold on, we'll be done. If we can all just kind of make some tough choices for a little while, we can hold on. So I remember out of the gate, there was kind of this like refreshing sense of simplicity that came upon my life. I was like, wow, this is so nice. Like, just like this slowness came upon my life and I felt motivation. I felt like this sense of, I'm gonna make the most of this time. Like two to four weeks of kind of a, a new pace. Maybe you felt that. But then April came and May came and June came. And after a while, I felt like my motivation just tank. And I kind of felt myself in this, this valley of like laziness and sluggishness. And it's kind of like, what's the point? Like, like where are we, Lord? And I felt like I was on this, this roller coaster of sorts. And it, it was then that the Lord, in April, the Lord spoke to me in the book of Proverbs and really um, spoke to me a lot, of this, a lot of this message. I'll unpack a few of those Proverbs here in a moment. But I want us to talk this morning about work and rest. You know, work can be godly. Work can be ungodly. Rest can be godly. Rest can be ungodly. And I want us to see the way of wisdom this morning. I want us to discern the way of wisdom and the way of wickedness. Discern godly work, godly rest, and wicked work and wicked rest. I believe American consumerism has led us to be a people of extremes. You know, we can either be workaholics and work our hands to the bone, or we can be lazy and purposeless. On one hand, we have many Americans, most Americans, not getting enough sleep at night. Ever since the advent of the light bulb, we're people that we just don't sleep. There's always something more to do, something else to grab our attention, something else to keep us up all night and to get us up early in the morning. We don't sleep enough. A recent 2018 survey actually found that 40% of employees say they want to quit their job because of burnout. But then on the other hand, like we have the generation which in the last 10 to 15 years has become normal to binge media, right? Binge Netflix. That's become nor normal. That's not like a bad thing anymore. That's just like, that's just normal. Everyone just binges hours and hours and hours of media. The, the new American dream come, come, that's come to us over the last 50 years has been to work hard for 25 to 30 years, then to be let out into this purposeless pasture to end your life on this earth. So what is, what's God's way? What's the way of wisdom? What does godly work and godly rest look like? I'm praying for a, a purifying work in your heart this morning to see it from God's perspective. So let me, look, uh, let me show you a few of the Proverbs that the Lord just spoke to my heart back in April. Proverbs chapter six, verses nine through 11. It said, Drew, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, you're right. So April, you know, kids weren't going back to school. So normally when you got kids in school, you got a lot of motivation to get up early before the kids get up, to have like a moment of peace and, and to get your kids going. It's like when the kids aren't in school, like we're doing school at home, 
it's kind of like you're off to a slow start. And, I, and I, so I found myself sleeping. And when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 4. says the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. There is this place in laziness where you just never feel satisfied. There's always something else to grab your attention, something else that maybe can soothe the things that are on your heart and your mind, and you try to fill those voids with all these things. That's the way of the sluggard. So what is God's way? I want to talk about rest, about work. Let's first talk about rest. What's godly rest look like? We rest to demonstrate God's ability, and this is central to the way of following Jesus, being a Christ follower, is learning to rest in a godly way. To rest to demonstrate God's power, God's sufficiency, that he is the giver of all good things, that he's the creator of all good things, that all things come from him. The American way props us up to be in the driver's seat, to think that it all comes through us, through our own work ethic, our own um, stick-to-itiveness. The gospel turns all that on head, what sets Christianity apart from all other world religions is that in Christianity, it's not about what we do. In all other religions, you wake up Monday morning and you are in a deficit. There's always something more that you can do to appease this far off God. Every other world religion is that way. You're always trying to dig yourself out of this hole. But Christianity turns that on head. And Jesus is the one who, who did the work for you. He's the one who went to the cross, did what you could never do. He stood in the gap for you. And so the way of following Jesus is finding your sufficiency in him, is resting in him, is placing your faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. Surrendering, dying to yourself. That is the way of Christ. And so central to following Jesus, when you say yes to Jesus, you're also saying yes to a life of rest in him. And so we rest to demonstrate his power, his sufficiency, that he is enough, just like we just sang. So in the Old Covenant, God early on, he set in motion the institution of the Sabbath. And it was to mirror his, his rhythm of creation set in motion in the very beginning. When God brought into, into being everything that's in existence, the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. It wasn't because he needed to, re, needed to replenish his energy He's not in need of anything. He set in motion an example for us as image bearers to also follow after. And it was this rhythm of rest to stop and to delight in the goodness of God, to learn to be people that rest. You don't have to be insecure. You don't have to be uncertain. God is more than enough. He is your source of joy and everything good in this life. I remember early on in ministry having to learn this example or learn, learn this principle uh, the tough way. Soon after we moved to Iowa uh, to, to Ames, the pastor that had hired me, he quit and he moved on and I was the only person on staff and I felt just like the weight of the future of the church on my shoulders, which is such a silly thing because God's been building his church for the last 2,000 years. But for some reason... 
I felt like everything was riding on me. I was like, Lord, I just gotta, I gotta work myself seven days a week. I gotta work nonstop if this is gonna stay afloat. Like, it's all on me, God. And I remember a friend and a mentor, he stopped by the office and he spoke sternly into my life. He said, Drew, if you continue at this pace, you're not gonna survive this transition time between pastors. Like, you need to learn to rest. And it was a wake up. I was so thankful for his, his truth in my life. So they spoke over my life. I need to learn to stop, to also learn to trust in the Lord, to be content, to be satisfied. You don't need more stuff. You don't need to chase after things like the world does. We can learn to stop and rest in the goodness of God. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 25, as I read earlier, the righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. There's a, a common misconception when it comes to the book of Proverbs which is that the wise are rich and the wicked are poor. That's not a correct, view, a correct reading of the book of Proverbs. The righteous, the wise are content. They're satisfied in lot or little. The wicked are never satisfied, even with a lot or even with a little. It doesn't matter. They're always, they're always suffering in want. They're always wanting more. Proverbs chapter 19 Verse 23, it says something very similar. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. That is the way of life, to rest satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Isn't that a profound picture of that orphan spirit that's in us that always wants more? Like we don't even bring back our hand to enjoy the fruit of our labor. We keep our hand in the dish constantly wanting more, 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 more. And it's never satisfied. That's the way of the wicked. That's the way of foolishness, the way, the way of unrighteousness, the way of, of the wise. The godly path that God is calling you and I into this morning is a way, is a, is a way of life that's being satisfied, being content. Experiencing the, the joy in the little things of life. So rest is enjoying what God has given us. Rest is worship. Rest is being at peace with God. And so here's some, some practical things to impart upon your life. Because I believe there are some people that need to learn to stop and take a Sabbath. I don't know what your, week, your work week looks like. But I would encourage you to take one day a week to be, for it to be a different day, to be a set-apart day. Obviously, as New Covenant believers, we're not required to follow the institution of Sabbath. But I believe Sabbath rest and a Sabbath rhythm is so life-giving for, for, for a follower of Christ. So I encourage you to find a Sabbath rhythm for your work week. And so Peter Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Leadership, he lays out four pillars for biblical Sabbath that I just wanted to uh, gift you with this morning to help you to begin to stop. You know, it, it has been said of the, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, that the Jewish people didn't keep the Sabbath, but the Sabbath keep the, the Jews. It's that life-giving nature of this institution, you know, set in motion in the creation story that's meant to be a joy upon your life, to stop. So that is the first pillar for a biblical Sabbath. It's to stop. And the Hebrew word for Sabbath literally, most literally means to stop or to, st to cease working. In our American Western way of thinking, because we think in terms of efficiency, industrialization, it's, it's seven days a week of work would be better than six days 
of, of work, but it doesn't work like that. God can do more with our six days than we can do with our seven. It's similar to a principle of tithe, that God, that God can do more with our 90% than we could do with 100% of our money. We need to learn to stop. Second is to rest. And in this, we're reflecting the example of that God set in motion, as I have said in the creation story. The Genesis account tells us that God himself rested, not because he needed to. We work hard, we contribute to the world around us, we put food on the table, we provide for our families, but then we stop and we learn to rest. That enough is enough. And so I would tell you, rest looks different for all of us. For some of us, maybe rest looks like a slow walk at the lake, slow walk through the neighborhood. Maybe for you, rest means swinging in a hammock, reading a book, reading a fiction book, or reading a book completely different than the work that you work the other six days of the week. Maybe for you, rest looks like cooking an amazing meal. Maybe for you, rest looks like playing games with your kids. Find something that's different than the rest of your week to learn to rest. Third is to delight. Stop, rest, and delight. Proverbs 13, 25, I've already read this. The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite. That is the way of righteousness. It's the way of wisdom. To learn to delight in what God has given you. To actually take and relish and, and revel in the, the goodness of God. So taking delight and being satisfied, like that spirit of contentment, is not a matter of net worth. It's not about, about how much stuff you have. It's taking joy in the little things. That's the way of wisdom. The sound of the leaves blowing in the wind. The sound of laughing kids. If you have kids in your home, when's the last time you got down on the living room floor with your kids? Rolled around on the floor with them. Taking delight in the beauty of God all around us. In a couple weeks, I get the opportunity to go up to the Boundary Waters canoe area. It's like one of the few wilderness areas in the United States that's completely you know, disconnected from the grid, remote from any other human being. So you can go up there for several days and never see any other human beings. I love people, you know, and I'll be with a little a group, but, but it's, it's also amazing just to, to get alone with God and God's creation. And every time I've gone, it's been 15 years since I've been, been there, but all, every time I've gone, I've always had a moment where I'm just overwhelmed by the glory of God in, the, in that environment. Just looking up at the Milky Way, seeing a shooting star, hearing the, the howling wolves in the distance, all those things just overwhelming me of the goodness of God, the beauty of his creation, that is delight. And I encourage you to take time every single week to stop, to rest, to delight. Fourth is to contemplate. To contemplate. Maybe for you, Sundays really do suit, suit you best to be a Sabbath day. And so in that rhythm of Sunday, the Lord's Day, it's, it's built into it that you would have an opportunity to gather around the Word of God, to think about things that matter more than the grind of Monday through Saturday. And within the, the Jewish tradition and throughout Christian his, history, either the Sabbath or the Lord's Day, built into it is this idea of corporate contemplation over the Word of God. The Word of God's going to be read, and we're going to think about these truths that impact our lives for eternity. 
But I encourage you in your, your day of rest, your day of Sabbath rest, that you'd stop and contemplate the values and the truths of God. So that's biblical Sabbath. That's, that's godly rest. And you'll see within that then there, there's no room for laziness, for apathy, for purposelessness. You know, rest is, is not necessarily sleeping for 14 hours a day. Oftentimes when you do that, you feel less rested at the end of it. Maybe for you it is, it is taking a nap. I think naps can be great. But resting is not binging on, on media. That's not rest. So then what about godly work? What about the other six days of the week? I want to cover the day of rest because honestly in, in the church, we don't talk about Sabbath very often. So I want to talk about that, set that up. But what about godly work? There's so much in the book of Proverbs on this, this topic of work. We rest to demonstrate his ability and we work to demonstrate his worth. There is a way to work in a godly way. And just like in the gospel, it's all about what he's done in his work, but yet we live a life in response to the work that he's done. Just because God's grace is so radical, so generous, it doesn't mean that we go on living our lives in apathy and and uh, without consideration of him. No, we live our lives as followers of Jesus in response to the price that he's paid for us. So it is in our work lives. Our standard for work is not the American dream. We look to God's example. God is creator God. He's the best worker in the universe. He's the most productive worker in the universe. Proverbs chapter three, verse 19 through 20 says, the Lord by wisdom, he founded the earth By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. You and I, we are created to reflect the image of God. What does that mean? Does it mean that we're meant to be little gods? No, nor will we ever be little gods. It means means what sets us apart from the rest of creation is that we have the capacity to reflect certain attributes of God that are different from the rest of creation. The rest of creation don't ha- doesn't have that capacity. A major aspect of that is the, the capacity to have relationship with God, to live in relationship. God is a relational being in that he's a triune God. He, he's always been in relationship for all of eternity, but then he's invited us into relationship because we are image bearers. But part of our image bearing is our ability to be creative and productive and innovative. It's part of our the, the reflective aspect that God set in motion in the garden when he, when he set up Adam and Eve to have dominion over the garden, to cultivate the land, to make it more productive. So that is God's call upon your life, to bear, to reflect the, the, the characteristics, the attributes of God in the workplace, whatever you put your hand to throughout the week, six days a week. So here are four ways to view godly work. First is responsibility rather than chore. Responsibility rather than a chore. Rather than just a mindless task, a necessary evil in this world. But actually, you know, work did exist in the garden. It just wasn't, it wasn't so laborious. Part of the curse was like, now we're going to have to contend with weeds and, and all sorts of wicked things. But even before the curse, there was godly work that existed in the garden and it was a responsibility. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 11 says, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits 
lacks sense. There is a a switch that's flipped. There is a moment in time when people hopefully step into maturity, into mature wisdom, and understand that what they have been given is a responsibility, it's a privilege, it's an honor. And all the more for us living in the West in a free economy and in a place where you can go out and you can earn a living for your family. We are blessed, and it's a responsibility that we need to cherish. Work doesn't have to be a bad thing. There's a mile marker moment that happens in kids' lives when they realize the difference between responsibilities and chores. Chores are have-tos, responsibilities are get-tos. I remember just recently my eight-year-old daughter, she got her own room. Up until that point, she had been sharing a room with her two little sisters. But for her eighth, for her eighth birthday, her, her one request is that she get her own room for her birthday. And so we, we decorated a, a bedroom in a parish theme. That was, that was, that's what she wanted. And we surprised her with it, and she was super stoked. And, and we noticed a switch in her that happened. When she had this shared space that was just like her little bed, um, her place to lay her head at night, to her own bedroom, it was like that place has been spotless for seven months running, and she keeps it all organized and, tight and you know, tidy and clean because in that moment, it's become a responsibility. It's no longer a chore. She wants to because she's been blessed with the privilege of having her own space this, that's her domain. It's a responsibility, and godly work reflects that. Second is purpose instead of a paycheck. Most of the time we think of work, we think of what's the wage, and when, how often am I going to get paid? And we always think in terms of next pay period, next pay period, next pay period. Obviously, you need to get paid, and you need to get, you need to get paid what you're worth. I'm not encouraging you to volunteer your time everywhere. But I do encourage you to think beyond the paycheck, to think to a purpose. Even if that purpose is as simple as, I want to be debt free, that's a purpose that's beyond just the dollar figures of this world. It's a, it's a sense of greater uh, autonomy and, and being able to make choices. Find a purpose in the work that God has called you to, that, that God has given you. And I would encourage you to pray for that, whatever your workplace is. If it truly is just a temporary job, this is just what pays the bills in the moment, or if it's a, literally a career or a calling, allow God to renew a sense of purpose in what he's put before you five or six days a week, that you would sense a sense of purpose in that space, in that atmosphere, in that environment that God has, has positioned you. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 26 says, a worker's appetite works for him. Like there are these internal motivators that we need to tap into as, as the, in, the, in the way of wisdom that should drive us, more than just the paycheck, more than just a position or a title. His mouth urges him on. You need to, you need to tap into whatever that, that, that purpose is, that internal motivator that, that God wants to unlock over your life. Third is this, a craft rather than a time clock. I've had a job where I'm staring at the clock regretfully, that's, and that's a me problem, not my job problem. Maybe you've been there, you're staring at the clock like, Count down the minutes. I've also had jobs where I'm so enthralled in what I'm doing that I lose track of time. I think the latter is a better place for us to live in this, this sense of we truly value what's before us and we want to make it as amazing as we can. We want to we go about it with such excellence. We want to see it as a craft, as a creation before God. I believe that can be done in each and every 
job, every vocation out there. Look at the, like the, the detail that Jesus, or sorry, that, that God brought about in the creation story in Proverbs chapter eight. It says, when he established the heavens, wisdom was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him, that's wisdom, like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his habited world and delighting in the children of man. Wisdom calls God, creator God, this master workman. He didn't have to take so much care and precision in his creation. He could have done it without a thought. But instead, he took delight in the creative process. And I would encourage you in your workplace to take upon yourself this mantle to be an image bearer in whatever your vocation is, to delight in the process of creation. You're creating something. You can make it a craft. You can make it excellent. You can make it sing of the glories of God. And fourth is this, integrity over instant results. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come forward. Integrity over instant results. And this is throughout the book of Proverbs. I mean, I could just rapid fire you proverb after proverb after proverb that commends us to be people of integrity, to be people of honesty, to be people of humility and obedience over a long period of time. Proverbs chapter 11, verse three says that the integrity of the upright guides him, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. We live in an age of get rich quick, overnight success stories, but the way of wisdom calls us to something different. It calls us to a way of integrity and honesty, of steadfastness over a long period of time, of being obedient, of treating with excellence what's before us, and then us reaping a reward of that over a long period of time. That is the way of wisdom. There's no shortcuts. This is what Eugene Peterson says. He says, grabbing what is there while you can get it is now described as basic wisdom. Improving yourself by whatever means you are able. Get ahead regardless of the price. Take care of me first. For a limited time that works, but at the end the devil has us due. There is damnation. By the grace of Christ, we experience the marvel of being made in the image of God. If we reject this way, the only alternative is to attempt the hopelessly fourth-rate, embarrassingly awkward imitation of God made in the image of men and women like us. I want you and I to all reflect the image of God in our workplace and our vocations five or maybe six days a week. But we do things with such excellence and integrity and honesty that people see God in us. They see there's something different about these people. Like it's like the Joseph or Daniel principle of our generation that, that there would just be this favor that follows us. And it's not because we have a silver bullet. Like the silver bullet of the kingdom is this path of integrity and honesty and obedience over a long period of time. If you'd all stand to your feet, I wanna do, a res- I wanna call for a response this morning that's a little more unique, a little different because I don't speak on work and rest all that often. But I feel like in light of a pandemic 
and the upheaval of, of our normal rhythms of life, it'd be timely for us to respond to the Lord specifically um, on this topic. So if you're here in this place and you're experiencing burnout in the workplace, maybe you're getting burnt out working remotely or maybe you've had extra responsibilities thrown on you or constraints or cutbacks in pay or whatever it is and you're just feeling the strain of it and you're feeling burnt out, I wanna pray over you today, that God would just refresh you, give you fresh vision and fresh purpose. But on the other hand, if, if you're like I was back in April and like feeling apathetic and lazy and purposeless, like this lack of motivation, lack of urgency, I also wanna pray for you. I wanna pray for just a healthy dose of purpose upon your life, that, that God would wake you up with this vigor in the morning to really go after it and to live your life with a sense of, of excellence with what God has put before you. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray over us. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you're part of that first group and you're saying, Drew, I, I'm feeling pretty burnt out. I, uh, I don't know how much more I have to give. I kind of feel myself looking for the next thing. I'm just feeling burnt out. Would you just raise your hand? I wanna pray over you. several hands across this place. I'm just going to pray over you, Lord, over every hand raised right now in the name of Jesus. God, I just pray for energy from your Holy Spirit, joy, refreshing. I pray for a grace upon every individual that raised their hand to begin to learn the biblical, godly way, the rhythm of Sabbath rest. And maybe that's going to be some tough decisions, but I pray their, their week would even be reoriented, re-retooled, to take a day where they, they stop and they rest and they delight and they contemplate the goodness of God upon their life. I pray it upon them in the name of Jesus. Pray grace from your Holy Spirit right now. I pray grace to endure, grace to do the right thing, grace to treat their employer with, with mercy and with compassion, to speak with kindness, to speak with respect and with, with honor. And I pray that favor would follow them, Lord Jesus. name of Jesus. I pray you provide for them. Any sense of worry, any sense of people being burnt out and working so hard because they don't know where the next meal is going to come or how they're going to pay their bills. God, right now I'm asking for divine provision from heaven. That Lord, you would do more with their six days than they could do with seven days. I pray it in your mighty name, Jesus. If you're part of that, that second group and you're just kind of feeling apathetic and a little purposeless. Maybe the pandemic has taken a little bit of a toll on you. Would you raise your hand? I'm gonna pray a prayer upon you. Yeah, Lord, hands all across this place. We, we are living in weird times. And although many of the rhythms and the normal things of our lives have been ripped from, from us, there's, there seems to be more and more things calling for our attention. And so then we constantly are feeding these appetites in ways that never satisfy us. So God, right now, I pray over every hand that's been raised. I pray for a fresh encounter with your Holy Spirit, such a, a new level of daily relationship with you that would invite people into purpose and into destiny, into fresh motivation and urgency to live their lives for that which matters. These lives are so short, God. One life to live. And I pray for a sense of calling upon every person doesn't matter what the vocation is. doesn't matter what the 
the occupation is. I'm, I'm asking for a sense of purpose and vision in what they do. The Lord, people would be able, be able to treat things like a craft, as, as a responsibility. You'd give us all in a, uh, a grace to walk with integrity, with honesty, with obedience in the name of Jesus. Name. Just keep your, your heads bowed for a moment. Whenever we gather, I, I love to give opportunities for people to get their lives right with God. If you're here in this place and you'd say, Drew, I need to start a relationship with Jesus. Things are not right and I, I need to start a relationship with God. Would you raise your hand so I could, I could lead you in a prayer of salvation? Right, now? I'm not gonna call you out or embarrass you. I just wanna know who I'm praying for. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Awesome. So if you raised your hand or, or even if you didn't, you can pray a prayer like this and you can pray this prayer anytime even in your bedroom at night when you're alone with God, surrender your life to Jesus. You can pray like this, Lord, today I come to the end of myself. I choose to stop trying to clean myself up in my own effort. I come before you. I recognize you as a perfect savior, perfect solution for my sin issue. And I surrender all that I am to you. I place my faith in you and you alone. No turning back from this day forward. I believe that today I become a new creation. I step into new life in you because your Holy Spirit comes to live inside of me. No turning back. Amen. Let's give God a huge hand. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at livethemessage.org.